As I hear that text read, the measure you give is the measure you get back. I want to hear that sermon, and I didn't write that one. There's like eight sermons in that text you just heard, and I, maybe more than eight. But what it made me think of as I studied it this week was um, how it begins. And where it begins is that it seems that not everybody's sticking with Jesus as he's sharing this sermon on the plane. Have you ever walked out on a movie? Like, you tried for a full half hour, but you can tell this is just going to stink, so I'm just not going to do this. Maybe you've gotten to intermission of a play and you've snuck away because you just weren't willing to subject yourself to the rest of it. Or have you ever turned off a game at at the half? Because you can just tell your team is not going to do it this week and you're just so angry, you just kind of turn it off. My dad does that a lot. (laughs) How about church? Have you ever? I remember as a kid, my family had just moved to a new town. We walked into this church. We'd never been there before. We walked in for the first time right before worship was to start, and after all four of us got into the vestibule, it's a very church word, you could see that into the sanctuary, all the men were on the right and all the women were on the left side of the church, and my mom turned to my dad and said, we're out of here, and he's like, yep. (laughs) Can you imagine people walking out on Jesus himself? Like, we understandably live with some misunderstanding around how Jesus was regarded during his own time. I mean, we worship him (laughs) as the Son of God, as a, a member of the one triune God who is God in flesh, who died and then didn't stay dead. We talk about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So when we hear stories like today's text, we may imagine the crowds at the feet of Jesus as he speaks just, you know, worshiping him on the edge of their metaphorical seats, taking note of every command, taking note of every blessed word that he's speaking. And maybe that's how we'd like to think we would have been. You know, if we could have been among those who walked the earth when Jesus did, we'd like to think we would worshipfully listen and receive everything Jesus said in a a spirit of openness and with a willingness to follow him in all that he says and does, right? That's maybe part of why we're here today. You know, something's drawn us here today to be exposed to this life-giving Word of God and, and to a community who claims to live in the faith of this God, this Jesus. And so today, each and every one of us went to the trouble of waking up on a Sunday morning, and we got here, and we chose to make ourselves vulnerable enough to have to sit and listen to the likes of me. Uh, standing and sitting and standing and sitting and standing and sitting again, praying for people and things you can't completely be familiar with, sitting near people you can't know all of the rest of the people in this room, but there's something about this Jesus and what He said and did that's drawn you, perhaps again, here to worship for an hour. And then you get here, and what do you hear today? Love your enemies do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, don't even withhold your shirt. And it's all summarized. This whole, this whole text is summarized in one verse, and that's verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be like God is what Jesus is saying. 
Maybe it's the kind of thing you've come to expect hearing at church. Love your enemies is such a famously Christian value, at least we say it's a value of ours, that it almost sounds cliché. Like, did anybody hear Bridget as she was reading, did anybody hear love your enemies and start looking around like, what? She said, what? Is anybody else hearing this? Like, let's get out of here. This is crazy. Did it make any of us angry? Love your enemies. No, I will not. Because that's how it was going for Jesus at the time. Which again, for us Jesus worshipers, that's kind of hard to imagine. But remember, Jesus gets killed. And that doesn't just like happen out of nowhere. It's moments like this. When he says stuff like this that send people away angry. Because loving your enemies seems like bad business. On a personal note, it seems like a great way to become a victim. Retribution, vengeance, domination. The world has made it very clear that's how you get ahead. Hate your enemies. Do worse to them than they did to you. That's how you win. Destroy those who curse you. Don't be nice to them. Don't support them. Don't encourage them. We have sayings for this kind of thinking. It's just business. It's nothing personal. Stuff like that. The original reality TV game show is called Survivor. And everybody understands. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to win. And millions of people every week watch it, right? I remember that. Great show. The world tells us over and over and over again, life's about winning. That's the point. Get up and win the day. Maybe at the expense of everyone else when necessary, especially those who are in your way. And this is a pretty good quick definition of enemy. Because you might wonder, you know, who is my enemy? Like, what exactly is Jesus? Who is Jesus talking about? Those who have wronged you. Those who disagree with you. Those who deserve destruction. You know who I mean. (laughs) And the world convinces us that each of us is wise enough to know who it is that deserves destruction. So we're catching Jesus mid-sermon here. Pastor Karen preached last Sunday about the first part of what we call the Sermon on the Plain. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Luke writes it up with similar words from Jesus, but they're spoken from a flat place, a plain. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That was in the first half. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you'll laugh. And again, many of us are so familiar with these words that we hardly hear them. But for people at the time, this was literally a revelation. Blessed are the poor? Doesn't look like it. Blessed are the hungry? Well, then why are they hungry? Blessed are those who weep? I don't feel blessed when I'm crying. God cares about them? What? That was news. Good news, especially to those who are poor, those who are hungry, those who are weeping. But to the rich, to the well-fed, to the blissfully unaware who didn't suffer much at all, this sounds much more like threatening news. And so in the first century version of turning off their TV, many were just walking away from Jesus, and some, as they walked away, started to plot against him, trying to figure out, how can we get rid of this guy? Which is why our text today starts, this isn't exactly how our 
Scripture, the way it's, interp- or way it's translated, it doesn't say it exactly like this, but it could be translated to say, I declare to you who are still listening, love your enemies. Speakers can usually tell how their words are landing, whether the crowds are into it like you are right now or whether they're thinking the speaker's full of it. I've seen that look too. So Jesus just names it. I declare to those who are still listening, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And I jump past a bunch of the text to get to that key verse in our text, verse 36, because it unlocks the rest of it. Jesus is declaring that we are called to embody the mercy of God. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And there's always been controversy. There continues to be a range of interpretations in the church about what it means for our lives to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower. Like, what does it matter? Does it change anything about my life? That I worship Jesus, that we worship Jesus. Some believe a follower of Jesus is simply one who is baptized, a person who has been graced and named and claimed by God, and that's all there is. A human then, each one, is an object of God's work, and that's all there is to it. Because we just mess up the rest, right? We're just hopeless sinners who can do no better than to be objects of God's grace. And thank God for God, that God chooses to grace us. We have a baptism this morning. One way to understand what's happening at that rite is to believe that God's Spirit will simply be poured onto brooks through the water and the Word, and that invisible cross will be traced onto His forehead for life eternal, and that is that. Discipleship is begun, experienced, and completed all in that magical moment. This idea may be why I have parents sometimes ask me whether they can get their child done. Another way, though, to understand baptism is to believe that Brooks is not today getting done. We could say he's getting begun. In this way of thinking, it's a Luke way of thinking for sure, discipleship is an ongoing practice of imitating God. But of course, that idea, an ongoing practice of imitating God, that would require a higher regard for human capabilities than to think that all we can do is hate and fight, be divided and give up on each other and give up on ourselves. We'd have to think more of ourselves, more of humanity than that, which can be hard to do. Our text for today claims we are capable of embodying God's brand of mercy. It's claiming that we can live above and beyond hate, retribution, and domination. It's claiming that we can live a life toward community rather than toward victory over others. That we can look upon people who've wronged us, people who stand in our way, groups who disagree with us. The claim Jesus is making is that we can look upon others in terms of relationship rather than in terms of rivalry where some win while others lose. So you might wonder, what does that look like? Like that, These are nice ideas, but what does it look like to look upon someone whom the world would allow you to call and treat like a hated enemy? Like we have full permission to hate people. 
the world's like, well, yeah, I get it. I mean, look at that person or think about what that person did to you. Of course, you get to hate them. You get to do something mean to them. You're allowed. Well, what would it look like to follow Jesus instead? To treat even a person we're allowed to hate with, within relationship. So the illustration Jesus offers is, if somebody takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. So 2,000 years ago, your shirt, it's like underwear. People aren't wearing t-shirts to the store. Like, <laughs> that's not a regular part of clothing. Shirts would have been unseen, like under something like this. Jesus is using as strong an illustration as he can. Give someone who has wronged you, who took your coat, give them your underwear too. That's what he's saying. Why? Because radical, out-of-your-way, extra-mile mercy, that's how God works. God's behavior toward humans is positive even when we don't deserve it. We call that grace. And if God can die on a cross so that my death is not the end of my story, even though I deserve for it to be the end of my story, then I, as a follower of the one who died on that cross, baptized into his faith, I can live in relationship with my enemies instead of rivalry, even unto the moment I give them the shirt off my back. Baptized, none of us is ever done. All of us are begun. We're sneaking up on the season of Lent, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And I genuinely hope you can all worship that day at 12.15 or at 6.15 so that you can start to make the most of Lent this year. The 40 days of Lent are a time to pray about what it means that you are begun and that you are built to be in relationship not only with God, but with your neighbor, all your neighbors, even and maybe especially with your enemies. What could that look like for you and your family and your church and your community? I don't have the answers to that question, but that's going to be among the questions we consider. Lent is a time to pray about what it means that in the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit of God initiated you into a way of life that in some ways it might seem at first more difficult, but in faith they are ways that simplify a world that twists itself into knots through all the rivalries we're supposed to remember, the hate we're supposed to keep. Vengeance may feel momentarily satisfying, but in faith we know it does not bring true joy. It does not bring peace. That can be hard to believe, right? People are walking out on Jesus because they want to hold on to their hate. They kind of like the games of vengeance and rivalry. The thrill of victory over a jerk. <laughs> putting them in their place. Maybe putting them out of business or making them into a social outcast or being clever enough to belittle someone in front of other people. That can feel really good. That might seem like the point of this life is to come out on top of those little moments. To win life over and over again. We may need to remember, God isn't saying, love your enemies to take away all our fun or to make life more difficult. 
God is good and wants what is good for us. God wants what's good for all of creation. And God knows by being the eternal source of mercy and love that what Jesus is saying is what brings true joy, not just momentary victory. Might not happen right away, this peace and joy. Might not happen easily, but in faith, mercy brings true joy. Vengeance, domination, winning over them, God knows that's not what feeds our souls. That feeds our self. And no one of us is begun at baptism to be a self. No one of us is baptized to become dominant, to take retribution, to make them look bad, feel bad, or be seen as bad. Each one of us was begun at baptism to be added to God's creation. Each and every one of us contributes something unique to this community of faith at First Lutheran and to God's world far beyond these walls. God begins each of us for the sake of our neighbor and for the sake of all creation. Thanks be to God. Amen.